You might not be familiar with his name, but you may have marveled at one of the many projects he's been involved with. Leslie Earl Robertson is an American engineer who helped to create some of the most innovative and daring buildings of the modern era. I'm George Boraki, and this is Cityscape. Robertson was the lead structural engineer of the Twin Towers of the original World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. He worked on that project with architect Minori Yamasaki. Yamasaki was just one of many internationally renowned architects Robertson got to work with. Robertson writes about his storied career in a new book called The Structure of Design, an Engineer's Extraordinary Life in Architecture. He joins us now in the studio to talk about it. Leslie, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. So how do you think a structural engineer sees the world differently than the rest of us? It never occurred to me they did. I mean, it, uh, I mean, you see everything in life from a, you get a special angle to it. But, uh, you know, we all worry about our government and other people's governments. We, I guess um, we travel more than most people, right? Yeah. I mean, I have millions of miles on many airlines and so we see more of the world, so that maybe is an advantage. But otherwise, I think we see them like anybody else. When did your life in architecture begin? I was at Berkeley. I was um, given the opportunity to sit in on a course where Frank Lloyd Wright came to lecture Wow! for a couple of weeks. I was younger than anybody in the room by ways because I... You know, I left high school to join the Navy, so, uh, and then we all got started school at more or less the same time. So I listened. I was not a outgoing person in the lecture, but I, I had my say. And as he was about to leave, uh, he called me into his office. He said, Mr. Robertson, you're not going to learn anything here about architecture. Come to work for me and tell us. And, well, I actually, I told him what I thought of him, which was not good. I mean, I, I, I found him to be a difficult person. And Why is that? I think uh, he was very arrogant. He was an I person rather than a we person. His designs were fantastic, but his outlook on life, I thought, was terrible. I mean, uh, he thought of women as very inferior people, and and you know, he just had a lot of... I mean, he liked his cape. You know, he was a, kind of that kind of guy, and... I wasn't, and I told him so. And then what happened? How did he take that? He didn't say a word. He just waved at the door, and I left. I went to the dean and said, I want out of here, and started studying mathematics. (laughs) You started studying mathematics. Right, rather than architecture. And is that what you did first for a career, mathematics? My my first job was a mathematician in in um, in a group that was designing all kinds of things, but they had an electrical department, and uh, I had some knowledge in electrical engineering. No, I had some knowledge in electronics, I guess is a better way to put it, because I was an electronic technician made in the Navy. But mostly I had mathematical skills that the electrical engineers didn't have, so I could do things uh, in a much more analytical, logical way than they could. So I, I, I think I did well uh, at it, and uh, and then I got interested, well, what happens when a wire breaks in a transmission line? And I realized that would put significant loads on the insulators, and so I worked out techniques for arriving at the design of the insulators. I thought, well, of course, that's going to affect the towers, and 
Um, that was quite a big jump. So I went to see the chief engineer, who, by the way, was a structural engineer, and and he said, uh, well, okay, why don't you come to the structural department? So I did that and worked really hard. They had a huge amount of knowledge that I didn't have, but but I could do things they couldn't do also. I mean, for example, they, they wanted a, a sort of a curved retaining wall, S-shaped retaining wall, and uh, that had loads on both sides. And... I was able to develop a design for something like that that the other structural engineers couldn't do, and that's largely because of my background in mathematics. What was your first big deal project as a structural engineer? My job, the original company uh, failed because the whole department went under, and uh, the chief engineer, Bill Burtwell, got me a job with John Bloom, a very good structural engineer in San Francisco. And I worked on this and that, but the most interesting one was a pier that went from the land out to a uh, man-made island, which was designed by the company. Actually, I'd worked on the design of the wave-resisting systems. But anyway, I uh, I was given the chore to design a Boeing pier to get out there to carry trucks. How far did that take you about, out? About a mile. Wow. Yeah. So I... Anyway, I came up with a different idea that saved a whole lot of money and time. Bill was kind enough to let him build it. So that was my first big, big project. Had you had a strong interest in architecture when you were a child, before you entered the military, before you went to Berkeley? No. No, I, I came from a very modest family. That's an understatement. I mean, we were pretty poor. Grew up where? California. Uh, and I'd worked all my life, I mean, uh, mostly in agriculture, uh, uh, picking fruit, uh, herding cattle, whatever I could get a job at. Uh, actually, I can't remember when I wasn't, when I didn't work. When did you first come to New York City? Well, I had this job with John Bloom and Associates, and after a while, I, I realized that the people working for me were earning a lot more money than I was, and I went to John and said, well, you know, I need a raise. He said, how much? I said, well, why don't you double my salary? He said, I'd have to think about that, and I guess he thought about it for a couple of days, and then came back with an offer of 50% increase. I can't remember exactly what it was, but probably 50%. I said, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll find another job. And I got a job in New York with uh, Raymond International Offshore Storage Platform in Lake Maracaibo, which is a big, big, big lake in Venezuela that had collapsed. And they hired me with a one-year contract to start out why. And I was successful in doing that, much to my own amazement, actually. But at the end of the contract, I decided it was not the right place for me. So packed everything into a red VW bug and headed across Canada for a month or so camping. Had a great time. Got bitten by a lot of mosquitoes. <laughs> Ended up in in Seattle and uh, working for a man named George Runciman. And he was much older than me and he was a very practical guy. You could see the hayseed hanging out of his mouth. I mean, he was just a great guy. And he and I got along really well together. He And then he retired, and I moved across the hall to a firm called Worthington and Skilling that was very much a structural engineer, very different from a George. There I met uh, 
quite by accident, I met Yamasaki. Uh, the, Jack Christensen, who was about my age, but I knew Jack really well. Jack had designed uh, a two or three sort of pavilions in, at the Federal World Fair, and Yama was the architect. And Yama came to initial stages before they started, just before they started construction. And for reasons I never really understood, I was asked to escort him around the project, not Jack Christensen. I, so I did. And uh, we went to the contractor's trailer, and the uh, contractor brought out a model of one of these towers, beautiful designs by Jack Christensen, of slender concrete elements in a gothic kind of way. And Yama looked at it, and then he looked at the floor, and then he turned to sort of gray. And, and then he said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I have to redesign. Hmm. Of course, contract, this is the World's Fair. I mean, the schedules are incredible. So contractor almost fainted on the floor, and I was saying, what's, what's going on, what's going on? And it finally hit me. Yama thought that the model was an architectural model. It wasn't. It was a contractor's model on how to build a blooming thing. I explained this to Yama, and he understood perfectly. And anyway, when we had a good day together, and and after that, I worked on a uh, on a a building in in Seattle, an IBM building in Seattle. I had some good ideas on how to build it that were very different from the way other buildings had been built, um, but using the same old stuff, you know, and nothing. Concrete is concrete and steel is steel, you know, and a pipe is a pipe. But all you can do is sort of mix and match in different ways and different concepts. So anyway, I came up with a different idea how to do it and managed to hold up a 22-story building, as I recall, on four-inch pipe columns. So that was visually quite striking, although we never saw them because they were covered by the mullions of the architecture, of course. I got along well with Yama on that basis, so I spoke a lot with other people, not just not just Yama. We we hit it off well together, and uh, eventually Yama got the job to design the World Trade Center. I was asked if I would join the team, and I was a little skeptical about that. What were you skeptical about? Well, well first of all, I never designed a. I, taught, I mean, 22 stories, is, and that's that's nothing compared to a World Trade Center. Now, here you are going to 110 stories with the Twin Towers. Right, immediately, yeah, big, 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 big step. So I was a little skeptical about that, and also uh, the man who was sort of going to join me in leading the team was an engineer with a lot of experience and uh, much older than me, and uh, I thought it was a young person's job, not an old person's job. And it turned out I was right, of course, because even in the architectural world, I mean, uh, really good people who made the project go were young. Other engineers and MEP and structure and 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 in architecture. Eventually, uh, John Skilling, who was of the, sort of the big gun and the great communicator in our, in, in our company, he and Yama had a falling out over something. I don't even know what it was. Probably money would be my guess, but I don't know. And John fired us, a lot of us. But with the World Trade Center, you couldn't exactly do that because it was a sort of a separate entity in New York and uh, well into the design of this building, and he and I got along together. So that 
we continued the Seattle office and Alaska offices were drummed out. That existed for a short while, and then I went to Yama and said, hey, you know, we did well together. Why don't we get back together again, you know, just the two of us. And he agreed to that, and that resulted in other buildings and other work and a, and a lasting friendship. What was unique at the time about the construction of the Twin Towers of the original World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan? Well, you know, there's there's nothing, nothing really new in, in structural engineering. You're kind of, I think of it as reaching up into the heavens and pulling down an idea that somebody did before you. You may not know it, but there's really very little, nothing new. And I, and I had, I had developed really good ideas on on using steels of different grades of steel in order to make a structure do what I wanted it to do. And that was a different thought. That and and the trade center was built on that on that concept and prefabrication. Uh, I'd done a building in Pittsburgh with different architects, uh, another IBM building. And again, I'd, I'd taken my mathematical skills to develop an analytical system. By mixing grades of steels, I could make the loads go where I wanted them to go so that the structure was more interesting and more economical and, and, and prefabricated into large pieces, well, large, two stories high. <laughs> to me, that was large. Uh, and uh, so uh, World Trade Center was heavy in prefabrication. People called them the Twin Towers. They weren't twin in my eyes at all. I mean, they were very different in that each of the four sides of each of the two buildings were different, one from the next. No two of the eight sides were the same because they were designed as a single project. That was a decision made by Port Authority, not by me. I asked them, I said, do we design them as single buildings or do we design them as a pair? And they want to know which was the less expensive. I said, well, we design them as a pair because you have to live with that anyway. And then designing them as single buildings, just more money. So we went with the, the pair. What's it like for you to look at the New York City skyline without the towers there? Um, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever recover from 9-11. I mean, I... The bombing was a piece of cake for me. I mean, I, in 93. In 93, because the public needed assurance that they could go back into those buildings, that the subway was safe and so forth. So I was on the television and the radio saying, hey, you know, this is a good, sturdy project, and the bomb was uh, nothing in, in terms of, of what it was able to withstand. The bombing was in the parking garage. The bombing, I mean, it took out a huge column and several acres of structure outside of the towers. And, and, and killed some people, unfortunately, and so forth. But even though the North Tower had been injured by the bomb, it was not mortally injured by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it was stronger than most buildings in New York, even though it had been injured by the bomb. So I was able to I was able to speak with confidence to the people of New York, and, and I did so on ad nauseum about that. When it came to 9-11, it was a different story. I mean... I knew if I appeared on TV, I'd be asked the inevitable questions. The question you just asked, how do you feel about it? And and I wasn't prepared to answer that question, actually. I mean, I was buried myself in work and avoided the press, and, and it was 
some months later that actually I was giving a lecture in New England and I was asked a question about the Trade Center and I answered I answered them and there was a reporter there from the New Yorker and I never got away from him. He was he was like glue. So he wrote an article about the Trade Center and other buildings, you know, also at that time uh, I was deeply involved in the problems with the Citicorp Center. You had looked into the potential impact of an aircraft hitting the Twin Towers during construction of the buildings. Well, during the, desi- the design, during the design mm-hmm. of the building, I, I knew that, that, that a, a bomber had struck the Empire State Building. And uh, so I said to myself, well, what's going to happen when one of those big jets hits the Trade Center? And so I analyzed it for the case of a... Uh, uh, 707, the largest jet of its time, not the largest today by any stretch of the imagination. And what, what would it do to the structure? And uh, and with very modest changes, not discernible to anybody except probably except me, able to design it to to resist that impact. Now there's another facet to it, and that is the plane that hit the Empire State Building was lost in the fog slow-flying, low-flying bomber, two engines, uh, low on fuel, headed for them. It was called Idlewild, now JFK. Whereas the planes that struck the Trade Center were flying above the rated speed, fully laden with fuel. And interesting enough, in this strange world that we live in, the fire-resistive systems of buildings are handled by the architect, not by the structural engineer. Uh, but, I mean, you can only go so far. I got asbestos fireproofing out of the World Trade Center, not 100%, because sometimes they ran short of fireproofing and they'd take whatever they could get. But almost all, all of it was done with the, what we call a cementitious-style fireproofing, much more capable of resisting abrasion and untoward acts. Um, I got that, but that was my only impact on the fire-resistive systems of the Trade Center, except we call stack action. That is, in the winter, for example, the outside air is cold and heavy, and the air inside the building is light and warm, and air pushes in at the bottom of the building and rises up through the building. Uh, and so I was instrumental in in teaching the architects and the mechanical engineers about, about stack action and about what could be done about it. Uh, we had designed a partition system which was capable of taking very high lateral pressures, much higher lateral pressures than the old gypsum block partitions could take for that reason. And it's now the sort of standard partition used around the world should have patented it, I guess. Anyway, the fire brought the buildings down. Not, not I mean, fire brought the, weakened the structure and weakened and weakened and weakened until finally the columns collapsed under the weight of the building above and they pancaked down to the ground. Did you ever expect that to happen on 9-11 after you saw what happened, that this could be a possibility? I can tell you, at, nine, at 9-11, I was in Hong Kong. I was having dinner, and this lady, a very nice lady, her phone rang, and she said, oh, she said, a plane's run into the World Trade Center. I didn't worry about it very much because I'd seen helicopters running below our own built our own building, so I figured that's what it was, and Time went by, and then her phone rang again on a second plane and ran into the other building, and I knew it was a serious problem. So I headed back to my room and hotel room and escaping the press, which was more difficult than you can imagine. The press are extremely 
agile in thinking of ways to get at you. And I got the hotel to shut off my phone, and I locked my door so and people would knock, and I just ignored them. When it was quiet, I got through to the hotel management and figuring ways to get out of the hotel in the morning, uh, to get on the plane to go back to New York. My brain was too stupid to realize there weren't any planes going back to New York. But anyway, I, I went out to the kitchen door of the hotel, escaping the press, and took the train to the to the airport and uh, met a nice man, and he and I chatted as we walked out of the as though we were old friends. And then I went to a different airline and got a ticket to Tokyo. And after I got to Tokyo, I, there was really time to think about about things like that. But I, I was not second-guessing myself at that time. Did you second-guess yourself after that time? Of course. Of course. We should have built a stronger building. What was going through your mind? Well, you, you should always build a stronger building. There's no argument in I mean. But the the problem the problem with the building was not the strength of the structure. The problem with the building was the fire resistive systems were not designed to deal with that circumstance, and they could have been. They could have been. You know, I'm a structural engineer, but I worked on the elevators. I I I, I worked on the asbestos fireproofing. I worked on the mechanical systems over there. I worked on every aspect of the building. But I thought that. I mean, I can. You only can only do so much, and I kind of ran out of steam someplace. And we built the building things. We did add after, as an afterthought, add into the buildings uh, provisions for a 440-foot high tower on top of the North Tower. And um, in order to do that, it centered on the tower naturally, and both visually and structurally, it had to be. And that meant the load had to be spread out over many columns. And so I had in my mind, during the design of the building, I had, I kept saying, so what would happen if things weren't exactly the way we anticipated? What, what would we do? And I came up with this idea of a big space frame at the roof. And when the tower, TV tower came along, I had the solution just like that. I mean, I was I had an instant solution and Port Authority elected to put it in, put it into both buildings because they thought, well, we might need a tower on the South Tower as well. That was uh, that helped added actually to the uh, structural strength of the buildings because it allowed for the distribution of loads from one column to the next, but only modestly. I mean, it's, it was not it was designed to distribute loads to columns, not from columns. And uh, the steel of the building was mostly fi- all fabricated and much of it erected. Things could not realistically be changed, even if I'd wanted to. And I don't think I wanted, I don't know what I wanted, actually. I was, I was, uh, had a lot of trouble at that time. Were you working on a particular project when the Twin Towers came down? Actually, uh U.S. Steel Company had come to us, and they wanted to build a big building in, in Pittsburgh. The U.S. Steel Building was to be the largest and was the private, largest privately owned building in the world. And they had, the architects had selected another structural engineer, and so I said, you know, don't forget it. 
But anyway, U.S. Steel insisted that we be retained. They, li they liked the building we had done in Pittsburgh, and they liked the Trade Center. So um, they insisted, and we were retained to do that. Yeah, I was going to ask, how hard was it for you to go back to work? It was easy. I'm a workaholic. I mean, working is the way to keep your mind going and keep you alive. I mean, when times are hard, you have to work harder, not less hard. That's my experience anyway. Did you at all want to be involved with the construction of the World Trade Center, one World Trade Center? No. No, I was. I had nothing to do with the design of it, of any of those, any of those buildings. Any desire to have been involved? No. No, no I, I put... Ten years of my life into that site, and um, it was even my wife Satine, a wonderful engineer and wife, found a lovely apartment down in at that development near the World Trade Center. But it was just too close for me. I mean, I was not prepared for that. What other buildings in New York City are part of your portfolio? You mentioned the Citicorp Center. City Corp Center, but I say the AT&T building is one that now the Sony building was was done. Uh, school up in Columbia, lots of buildings in New York City with uh, differing architects. How different is the industry today compared to when you started? What's different about it? The huge change was the introduction of the computer, which has been a blessing and a curse. A blessing because... Uh, it allowed us to go from the way I had been calculating things, which was to go out and hire a bunch of nice ladies and their desk calculators and and get them all in a big room, and we would work together using a kind of slowly evolving technique uh, to develop the structure. With the computer, you could do it very much faster and much more accurately. Um, the problem was that it was too, was and is too good. That is, young, young architects and engineers. They get a project, they immediately start calculating it, laying it out, and so forth. And rather than sitting back and thinking about it, uh, and I'm a sketch first, analyze last person. So my idea always is you work things out in your mind, and then you goes from your mind down through your neck and out your arm onto a pencil and you put it on a piece of paper and then you test it. Uh, but as a communication system works really well, uh, but not so well as having a almost finished project in front of everybody right away. But, it, but the computer allowed us to make use of materials in different ways and to study alternative systems uh, that were very time-consuming in the past. You almost had to arrive at a solution and then go with it. And with the computer, you could arrive at a solution and maybe modify a little bit. Why did you write this book? Well, I was, I was blessed in a way in that uh, some of the best and some of the worst events in construction industry uh, rotated around projects that I was involved in. And um, I felt that that the need for young architects and engineers to get out from behind their computer and get into the world, and I wanted to 
convey that in a way to them and and also that they're in the communication business uh, they don't know they're in the communication business but they are in the communication business the difference between very successful architect or engineer and not so successful one is maybe not in the ideas but in the communications that's true in painting and sculpture and other other art forms uh, I've never met I work I work with a lot of artists all of them are great communicators I have to be how how are they going to get people to buy their painting or or <laughs> retain you to make that huge sculpture if, if you can't get that across to them they have to learn to love you in a sense right and well the book is the structure of design and engineers extraordinary life in architecture leslie thank you so much for coming in thank you for coming in it was an extraordinary life too by the way largely because of others not because of me Leslie Earl Robertson's The Structure of Design is out now from the Monticelli Press. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Borarki. My thanks to producer Caroline Rotante. Thanks so much for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.